It's good to be back from our summer sabbatical, and I want to just again say thanks to the elders team and to the staff team for shepherding well, for leading well uh, in these last number of months, and it's just such a privilege to be uh, back and to be a part of what God's doing here amongst Jericho Ridge and here in our city as well. And if you've been around Jericho for a little while, you know that in the summer months, what we're trying to do is just wrap our mind around some of uh, the flow of the Old Testament. And so we started a number of summers ago, just way back in Genesis, just walking through story by story, book by book, character by character, and exploration of the lives and the witness that we find to faith in the Old Testament. And so this summer, we've been looking at the stories of Elijah. And it's been great just even when we were traveling uh, 25,000 miles uh, or so this summer and being on all kinds of different continents and working in Tanzania and stuff, we could still stay connected with Jericho, listen to just the wonderful teaching that we had so many people uh, engage and participate in. And so I want to say thanks to those who were part of the teaching team as well. Uh, just both men and women did just a fantastic job of looking at God's word and really uh, looking at the things in Elijah's life that are meaningful and helpful for us today. And so we're almost to the uh, end of Elijah's story and his journey. Next week, uh, we'll finish off, uh, and he has quite a surprising finish to how his life and ministry finishes. Uh, but I'm reminded again of the book of James in chapter 5, verse 17, when it talks about Elijah, it says, you know, Elijah was a human being, just like you are, just like I am. And yet when he prayed, and asked the Lord that there would be no rain. For three and a half years, it didn't rain. And then when he prayed again, the sky opened and rain fell down and the earth began to yield its crops. And so I'm just reminded of this tension in Elijah's story that he's a human being like you and I are, and yet sometimes he demonstrates this incredibly bold faith to ask God for incredible things. And yet at the same time, right after that, like Danny shared in his testimony, we see Elijah scared and at a real low point for him. And he experiences the same type of things that we experience. He has amazing faith and then the very next moment, stunning cowardice, incredible courage, and he gets into these confrontations that God invites him into with people in places of authority. And this morning, we're gonna look at another one of those. We're in 2 Kings chapter 1. And Elijah confronts yet another king. This time it is King Ahab's son, King Ahaziah. And uh, the story of Ahaziah begins with a serious injury, like all good stories do. And it seems somehow that injuries become a little bit more prone. I don't know if this is in your house, but certainly in our house, we get more injuries in the summer than we get at other times of year. So this summer, for example, when uh, we were up at camp, um, I dislocated my pinky finger. We were playing a game, it's kind of like volleyball, but you're supposed to defend your little square, it's called nine square, and we we're playing it with some of the other um, CLTs, like the leaders in training. And so, you know, they're all like 15 years old and six foot four. And so they decided it would be really fun if they would like all gang up on the speaker of the week, yours truly, and decide that they would like 
target me. And so there I am, you know, guarding my square. I'm set in my volleyball stance thinking, you know, like the kids just kind of hit it nicely to you. But the CLTs, they were like going to spike it at me at 100 miles an hour. So there I am guarding. Boom, it hits my pinky finger. And my pinky finger suddenly looks like an Allen wrench. You know, it's just got this weird two 90-degree angles going on it. And I, I looked at that, well, that's funny. I don't, that, that kind of hurts. But, you know, you don't want to like give them the satisfaction that they have kind of really, you know, sent your summer in a different way. So I pop it back into place and just casually walk over to the stream beside the volleyball court by the beach where we're playing and just stick it in there. Yeah, you guys keep playing. Go ahead. I'll be back in in a minute. So I stuck it in for a few minutes and then I just got right back in the lineup and decided I was going to start playing again. And uh, my doctor says that the swelling will go down in six weeks or so, and that the bone fragment that got dislodged should probably just be absorbed in six to eight months. So I'm, you know, that was my summer injury this month, but still no broken bones, just dislocated, my doctor assured me. But maybe you have a summer injury story. So Mike is going to come around with the mic, and did you, uh, either this summer or another summer, uh, get injured in some way that you think would be, you know, you would like to share with your community here at Jericho Ridge. <laughs> Summer injury stories. About 10 years ago, uh, me and my buddies decided to go downhill mountain biking in Whistler. And uh, two out of the four of us left with broken bones. I had seven fractures <laughs> in both my arms. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Sandy. Mm -hmm. uh, we were in Florida having a lovely holiday in April and we went to the rocket center and we saw a rocket yeah. take off and that was great. But in crossing a barrier, I was a little too frisky and I tore my leg right open, about oh. nine inch right up the leg and fairly bad. Uh, we got it going, uh, repaired, but, but in the following couple of months, I was walking very badly on that leg and yeah. end up with a, a very badly inflamed Achilles tendon right. on the right, uh, right ankle. Wow. Wow. And that's taking time. Yeah. And it's, uh, that was a $1,500 trip to the Rocket Center. <laughs> yes. but, but I guess what I'm saying is I thank the Lord because in, in experiencing weakness and pain in that area, mm -hmm. I'm leaning on him. Mm -hmm. And I know that ultimately he's my strength. So I, I do thank God for it. Uh, how about you, dear? <laughs> <laughs> Two weeks ago, we went to uh, Manning Park and was a, to a cottage with our cousins. And the, the living room area was upstairs and all the bedrooms were downstairs. So it had a spiral staircase with no, bear, no handles, no um, handrail. And all the four days I kept saying, I've trained myself not to fall down these stairs. This is bad for old people. And I thought, hey, wait a minute, I'm an old person. So anyway, the very I just finished saying that. It was the night before we had to come home. I just finished saying that I missed the bottom step. And I fell, and I hurt my knee and leg. Oh. It has taken two weeks. Just yeah. uh, yes, uh, two days ago, I started to feel a shock on it. But yeah. it's been quite a time between... Two old people hobbling around. <laughs> <laughs> Whose last names are young. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. Nigel. Well, the 
younger kids, when I was in grade seven, uh, towards the end of grade seven, they had a grade seven graduation, and it's around summertime. And so we were out camping, and I decided I wanted to chop wood, just like all the other kids. And I didn't realize at the time that when you chop wood, you've got to have your feet apart in case you miss. Well, I didn't, and the, chop, the, the, the axe went through my shoe, and I was in shock because I didn't feel anything. I took my shoe off, my socks were all full of blood, and so they took me to the hospital and all that kind of stuff. Till, till this day, that part of the nail, where it split my toe down the center, like the big, the big toe, it has never grown back. <laughs> yeah, so um, I have a cottage in Ontario, and I went there for the month of July, and I came back, and I was getting ready to go to work, and it was the August long weekend, which happens to be Walter's birthday. And we were dating, and so we went to Fireside Creek up in Mission, and there's a waterfall there, and it's, what, 40 to 50 yeah, feet? Tall, yeah. And I was watching all the guys jumping off, and all the girls were sitting there in their bikinis, and I thought, nope, forget it, I'm doing it. Okay, I can't even jump off a diving board. What was I thinking jumping off a cliff? So I get up, or a waterfall. So I get up to the top and I'm standing there and going, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this. But then I realized I couldn't get back. <laughs> so, and Walter, <laughs> Walter's behind me and actually we have a photo and it looks as though he's pushing me. <laughs> but he didn't. <laughs> anyway, and so I thought, okay, fine, I'll do it. Well, again, since I'm not a jumper off high spots, I had no idea that you're not supposed to jump with your arms out, you're supposed to jump with your arms crossed. And I jump and I, anyway, all I knew was when I got back up, I basically I had strained, I almost broke my back because I had strained the thoracic region of my spine and my chin actually bruised my sternum. And when I got out, I started, I tried to swim and I realized I can't swim. <laughs> and so they took me out and uh, anyway. <laughs> um, so what happened was I ended up being bedridden for a month after that and my, my employers were not very happy with me because <laughs> that was two months off. Yeah. When I was 13, I went to Camp Furwood as a kid, and the first day we uh, we had like a big obstacle course we could run around, and I jumped off of something I really shouldn't have jumped off of, um, and it was probably 15, 16 feet, and I landed straight-legged, and I broke my T4 and T5, and I knew I'd broken something because I heard bone snap, and uh, so I go to the the nurse there, and she's like oh no, you'll be fine, just take a couple Advil. And so I went all week taking, living off of T3s, um, wakeboarding, skiing, trampolining. Um, I got home and my mom's like, no, we need to go to the hospital. Like you're, you're walking crooked even, like you're favoring it too much. And uh, so I got x-rays and my doctor called me about three hours later, just like, don't move, come in now. So then they took more x-rays, but yeah, I ended up being off of uh, PE and whatnot for over a year, wow. so, yeah. Wow, well see, the, yeah, <laughs> Miriam's like, I can't take any more of this, this is disturbing. I think the moral of these stories is, we need to spend a lot more time in staff meeting praying for safety and protection for all of you guys, because man, you, some of you are crazy, but, uh, <laughs>
<laughs> well, the reason that I wanted you to share a little bit about that is because in 2 Kings chapter 1, we actually see King Ahaziah, and he starts his uh, introduction with an injury story, a serious injury. And uh, King Ahaziah actually falls through the lattice work on the upper floor of his palace. And uh, in 2 Kings chapter 1, it says he was seriously injured and he wasn't sure if he was going to live or die. And so he says in 2 Kings 1, 2, he sent messengers to the temple of Baal in Ekron to ask whether he would recover. Now, before we go any further into his story, we need to just pause and actually think for a minute what's going on here. So the king of God's people, Israel, ancient Israel, the leader, the one in charge, the one who God explicitly says in the book of Deuteronomy, you're to read my laws, you're to be an example to the people of righteousness and godliness, like the the way that the nation goes is under your leadership, and so you have a spiritual as well as political and economic, all of those things, responsibility. Instead of seeking the Lord and asking the prophet Elijah, whom he already knows, his dad's had interactions with him, instead of going to the temple and saying, hey, and can any of the priests ask and pray and ask God if I'm going to recover, his first thought is, you know what I should do? I should send some of my messengers off to a foreign land, to a foreign god, to Philistine territory, to ask after an idol if I will recover from my summer injury. See, this is a problem because this has roots in Ahaziah's family life and it has actually significant consequences for him personally. So we'll tip my hand and say the point of the whole message today is contained in a little lyric about uh, the indicator of what we do in challenging times when we actually find ourselves faced with difficulties and challenges and when we need help, what we do in those moments is incredibly indicative of the condition of our souls. And so we'd say it this way, if you want to know the status of someone's soul in times of trouble, look where they go. Where do you turn for help when you get into an Ahaziah situation? Significant health challenges. And Ahaziah shows right away his trust and confidence is not in God at all. In fact, 1 Kings 22 gives us insight into his spiritual condition and how it actually mirrored that of his father. And Pastor Wally reminded us about this uh, last week as we finished the story of King Ahab, who was one of the most wicked kings in Israel's history. And then at the end of 1 Kings 22, when it's describing Ahab's legacy, it says, Ahaziah also did what was evil in the Lord's sight, following right after the example of his mother and his father. His mother was Jezebel, who led Israel to sin. And he served Baal, and he worshipped him, and he provoked the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, just as his father had done. And so Ahaziah just continues to walk down this path that's been set in motion for him, but he does so willingly, he does so continuously, despite all of the warnings that Elijah has given. Because you remember, Elijah gave a warning to Ahab, and Ahab actually, even though Ahab was a wicked king, actually went through a process of repentance, and God said, okay, I'm going to honor that, and what I have 
um, ordained judgment for Ahab and his family because of his continuous wickedness, but I'm going to postpone that because of his repentance. But Ahaziah sees all of these things and yet persists in leading people into sin. A clear accountability, but he continues the willful actions that takes him out from underneath God's gracious protection. And Pastor Wally reminded us about that last weekend, that we have to be careful because none of us knows that moment where we've walked too far down that pathway and where we are suddenly out from under God's gracious protection. And Ahaziah is in that dangerous spot. There's not a ton of real estate in the Bible that's devoted to him, but all of the things that we learn about him are consequences of his persisting in doing evil in the Lord's sight. We learn that he has some political trouble because the nation of Moab rebels against him and they decide, hey, we're out of here. We're not going to stick under this guy. If he's not strong enough to keep us and they, they hightail it out from under his leadership. He has economic consequences. There's a business partnership that he goes into with uh, Josiah, the king of Judah, and it's a complete and utter failure and disaster for him and for the nation. And now personal health consequences as well. And this inquiry after Baal is just simply another expression of what's going on in his heart and in his life. His defiance and disdain for God. And finally, it catches up with him. So look with me at 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 3. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And you can also follow along on your Bibles or on your smartphone. Uh, the Jericho Ridge app has a Bible section in it as well. So 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 3. So after the king uh, sends his messengers to go and inquire of Baal, the angel of the Lord told Elijah, who was from Tishbe, go, confront the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, what, is there no God in Israel? Why are you going running after Baal, Zebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether the king will recover? Now, therefore, this is what the Lord says, you will never leave the bed you were lying on, you will surely die. So Elijah went to deliver the message. And when the messengers returned from the king, the king asked them, huh, why are you back so soon? And they replied, oh, there was a man. He came up to us. He told us to go back to the king and give him this message. This is what this, the message, they repeat it verbatim. This is what the Lord said. Is there no God in Israel? Why are you sending men to Baal's above? The God of Ekron to ask whether they recovered. Therefore, because you've done this, you'll surely never leave the bed you're lying on. You'll surely die. And the king says, what sort of man was he? What did he look like? And they replied, oh, I didn't give us his name. He was a hairy man, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. And the king says, ah, that's Elijah, the prophet from Tishbe, because that's prophetic garb, like they were the original hipsters. Even in John the Baptist, right, you see that same description. He wore a coat made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, that was kind of one of the signs or the signals. So they didn't, again, Elijah doesn't give him the name, but the king knows right away, oh, both from the content of the message and also from the description of the messenger, that this was a prophetic word from Elijah. And so he receives it, and you'd think, here's the thing that astounds me about this confrontation. So think about this for a minute. The secret musings of the king's heart are known to God. 
right? Elijah wasn't there in the room when the king was sending these messengers, but God knows, and so he sends an angel to tell Elijah, hey, go and intercept them. I know what their message is. I know what their mission is. And so God knows that Ahaziah is sending messengers to Baal, and he gives Elijah that information to go and confront the king's messengers. So now King Ahaziah knows that Elijah knows that God knows what could only be known if you were in the king's court that day. And God uses this to prove and demonstrate to the king, you want to know the future? You want to know whether you're going to recover or not? Like, I know what's going on, what you say in your heart and what you speak in the inner chambers of your palace. I know everything about your life. And yet you're going to run off and send some messengers to Baal and ask him about this? And so God demonstrates decisively to the king that if he wants to know insight into the future, into his health condition, his spiritual condition, God's the one that he should be seeking. But remember, back to our main point, if you want to know the status of someone's soul, just look where they turn in times of trouble. Ahaziah does not return to the Lord. He doesn't say, you know what? These messengers have made a good point. You know, God is really the one that I should be seeking. God, I should change and seek insight, advice, forgiveness from you. No, instead he persists even further into walking into sin. Now, the king is such a disruptor of his, this mission. He knows this Elijah guy is a prophet who's made trouble for him, trouble for his parents. And so what does he do? Look with me at 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 9. Then the king sent an army captain with 50 soldiers to arrest him. More than enough to take in one guy with a leather belt and camel's hair cloak. And the 50 soldiers and the captain come and they find Elijah sitting on top of a hill. And the captain says to him, Man of God, the king has commanded you to come down with us. Now, Let's think about this for just a minute. Elijah replies to them and says, if I am a man of God, like you put in your lips and you think that I am, let fire fall from heaven and destroy you and your 50 men. So we have to actually understand something here because when we first read this, our modern sensibilities get a little bit shocked and we think, what in the world? These poor 50 innocent men, they go out to arrest this guy and like they, they get burned to a crisp? Like how in the world is that fair? What in the world is maybe God just really mean and doesn't like these people? What in the world's going on here? But we have to understand these men are not innocent bystanders that Elijah somehow you know, uses his superpowers to incinerate. These are soldiers of the king and they're acting willingly under orders from the king. And their approach even to Elijah lets us know they don't believe this guy's a man of God. They have no respect for God. They don't even believe that God exists. They act as if God is not real and Elijah is not really God's servant. Like, yeah, yeah sure, this guy's a man of God. Whatever. Just come with us. You're under arrest. And so Elijah says, oh, just turns their words back on them and says, oh, so you, you disrespectfully and divisively, you don't even believe this. Say, oh, a man of God. Yeah, 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 sure he's a man of God. So Elijah says, oh, let's have a contest, just like we did with the prophets of Baal when we set up the altar. If God is real and he says who he 
says here, you're in flagrant disobedience here, friends. And if God is real, then we'll just let God be the judge between you and I. And so the men are actually walking in full disobedience and their refusal to disobey the orders of the wicked king results in their judgment. And there's a saying in business and in leadership that you've probably heard, and it applies to these army guys. And it's this, speed of the leader, speed of the team. You see, King Ahaziah is setting a blistering pace for wickedness and sin in the life of the nation of Israel. And those that are under his leadership are running right along to catch up with him as fast as their little legs can carry them. And so God is looking around and saying, man, oh man, I wish that there was righteousness in Israel in this time and in this place. But instead, the king has been leading the country for so long, generations now, away from God. These army leaders are following in those footsteps. And so they would have been wise for them to think about things like conscientious objection or civil disobedience. But they plow right ahead with their assignment and that also indicates the conditions of their hearts because Elijah is not an unknown quantity in these parts. Like people know and the story of the contest at Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal and the fate they met. Like this would be well known and understood. And so these army leaders are just following the leader of their team down further and further and further into sin and disobedience. And even the tone that they approach Elijah with indicates their absolute insolence towards God. And then the second group, King says, well, we didn't get what we needed the first time. Maybe it's gross incompetence in my army. So he sends a second group of 50 soldiers. And they're even a little bit more bold and maybe a little bit stupider than the first group because like you have to have thought and heard what happened to the first group of 50 and they go and even more insolently demand, man of God, come down from this mountain right now. The king has decided that you are under arrest. The king demands you come down at once. And again, Elijah says, well, you want to play those cards again? If I'm a man of God, let's talk about what's coming down. I'm not coming down. You're not coming down. Fire from heaven is coming down, and it destroyed them all. So once more in verse 13, the king sends a third captain with 50 men, but this captain actually exercises some intelligence and uses his head a little bit. And the captain's not only smart, but he evidences another trait, and that is humility. Because he approaches Elijah with a completely different tone. Verse 13, once more the king sent a third captain with 50 men, but this time the captain went up the hill and fell to his knees before Elijah, and he pleaded with them, O man of God. He doesn't say, if you're a man of God. He doesn't say, I don't think you're a man of God. He recognizes and says, I, I actually believe that you are a man of God. I believe in God, and I believe that you are God's representative. And so I ask you, please spare my life. Spare the lives of these, your 50 servants. See how the fire came from heaven, came down, destroyed the first two groups. But now, please 
spare my life. In verse 15, the angel of the Lord says to Elijah, go with him. Don't be afraid of him. So Elijah went and got up and went with him to the king. And Elijah says to the king, he gives him this message. This is what the Lord says. Why did you send messengers to Baal Zebub, the god of Ekron and Philistines, to ask if you would recover? Is there no God in Israel to answer your question? And clearly the king has been behaving as if he doesn't believe that God exists. Therefore, because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you're lying on and you will surely die. And so Ahaziah died just as the Lord had promised through the word of Elijah. You see, Ahaziah was given an opportunity again and again, but yet he chose not to turn to God for help in his time of trouble. He chose to willfully walk in exactly the opposite direction and in fact encouraged those around him to do the same. And the responsibility level for him as the leader and for those that followed him were high and the consequence was significant. Is there no God in Israel, Elijah says? Because you're certainly not turning to him in time of trouble. This story prompted me to think about my own life and experience. I think it prompts each of us to ask the questions. When we get into times of difficulty, when things are hard, where do we turn? Where do we go when things are tough? When life does not go as we plan, when we run into a crisis, who or what supports do we reach for in those moments? Because, see, there's lots of options available to us here. In Tanzania, a lot of the people that we worked with there, they don't believe in God, so they just run off to a witch doctor in a time of crisis or trouble. In North America, we fancy ourselves quite a bit more sophisticated than that, but there's lots of options for things that we can turn to when we need help. We can reach for unhealthy things like abuse of alcohol or narcotics to numb the pain. We can reach out and begin habits that we feel will numb pain, like gluttony or over-shopping that makes us feel better and temporarily. We can spend endless hours on social media just mindlessly trying to escape the reality of our lives and challenges. But where do you turn when things are hard? Because if you want to know the status of someone's soul, what's going on inside their lives spiritually, when they come into a time of trouble, look for where they turn. What are the resources that they bring around themselves? I think today the Lord is inviting and reminding you and I that when we need help, he's the one that we are to turn to. God promises he's our refuge, he's our strength, he's a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we are not to fear. And maybe you're here today and maybe you've actually never thought about that and you've never actually decided, you know what, I want to turn my life over to God. We heard both Danny and Michael talk about their faith and about how they made a decision, that an, an anchored decision of faith to turn their lives over to God and let him um, 
be their one that they trust in. And so maybe today you've been trying to live your life and work through your difficulties and challenges on your own strength and power, but you're realizing that in terms of strategy, that's not going to work for you. Maybe it's worked for a period of time, but ultimately we'll come to the end of our lives and realize that that's an insufficient way to deal with our own mortality and eternity. And so today is the day for you to actually reach out to God and say, you know what, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I want to confess and repent and receive your grace and your forgiveness and your help. And an expression of confidence and trust in God, one of the ways that we can do that is through prayer. And one of the great ways that we can do that also is by reaching out in a time of need and letting other people around us who have faith support us in that time. And so as Chris and the team come and lead us in two songs of response, Mike Ryder and Ali Nicole and myself are just going to make ourselves available at the sides and at the back. And we do this every week at Jericho. And this is just an, a simple expression of if you say, you know what, I'm in a time of need and I want to reach out to someone in a practical, concrete way and pray with someone. We're here and we want to pray with you and stand with you uh, as you reach out to the Lord and invite him to be your help and your strength. You may want to respond just personally where you're at. And I'd encourage you, take a moment to just think of a circumstance in your life that's challenging for you right now. Might not have to be a massive circumstance, like a big health crisis. Might be something small. Might be just you're nervous thinking about going into a new school year if you're a student. Or there's an area of stress or struggle. Just bring it to the Lord and ask God to give you the rest that you need. Ask God to give you the healing that you seek. Think of that circumstance and just spend time praying and inviting God into that place. And tell God in prayer, say, God, I am choosing to turn to you in this circumstance and situation. Maybe it's a financial challenge, a health challenge for someone in your family. We turn to God in our time of need. It's an expression of our trust and confidence in him as our provider and source. And Psalm 121 says it this way, using the imagery of the mountains. It says, I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Does my help come from there? No, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. He will not let you fall. The one who watches over you does not slumber or sleep. The Lord will watch over you. He stands beside you as your shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. And so as Chris uh, leads us in this song, which those words are taken directly from that psalm, just hold again in your mind or in your heart that area for you that you say, I want to just bring this to the Lord. And as an expression of faith and confidence, you can remain seated, you can kneel, you can stand, you can move to the back and side and pray with people if you'd like this time.